1 Peter chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 15. Colossians 1.15. Speaking of Jesus, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. I can't start preaching now, otherwise we will never get through this. Let's just continue reading. 17, and he is before all things, above all things, in front of all things. He's at the top of all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21 says, And you, yes, me, yes, you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order that he might present you holy and blameless. And above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And of which I, Paul, became a minister. Also we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter Three. Let's go over to First Peter, chapter three. First Peter three. We'll start in verse thirteen and we'll go through eighteen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope and the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. These are the words of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, we are living in incredible times. Uh, If you had asked any one of us in here 20 years ago what kind of days we would be living in today, not a one of us would have described these days. Lord, they are at times surprising and certainly at times shocking to us, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not a one of them are shocking to you. And so, Lord, you have predetermined, as your word says, you have uh, in your sovereign plan, in your providence, laid out our days before they even began. And you have designed us, specifically us, to live in these days and not to just live unto ourselves or to to follow our own path, but that we would live for you and for your glory and for the kingdom of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that by the death of your son, you have reconciled us to us, us to you. Lord, that you have set us free from sin, from shame, from darkness, from blindness, from death, and that you have delivered us into the kingdom of light and righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our lives, and we pray that you would help us, that you would sharpen us, Lord, that you would make us salty, that you would make us shine bright for you, that we would be lights shining in this world to the praise of your glory. It's in the name of Christ, our King, that we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Now, I do have, I want to warn you, just a little bit of a lengthy introduction this morning before I'm going to uh, start dealing with the text that I've read today. So just buckle up. We're, we're going to have a little bit of a lengthy introduction. And I just want to warn you today, if you're not a Christian here today, first I just want to say how glad I am that you're here with us today. We're, we're honored that you would join us uh, as we worship our Lord and Savior. But if you're not a Christian here today... Though we're honored that you're here, I just want to warn you, you will be offended. I'm going to offend you this morning. Uh, The gospel is offensive to those who don't believe it. And so this morning as I preach the Bible and the word of God, uh, which is the sword of the spirit, it will cut you this morning. So just warn, I'm just giving you fair warning for the unbeliever here today. But for the believer here today, I'm going to offend you as well. Okay, so I just want to warn everybody. I'm not setting out to offend anybody. That's not my goal or my hope. I don't wake up on Sundays just anxious to make everybody mad. But I just want to warn you that today is going to be, and this month is particularly going to be uh, prickly. Uh, We live in a culture that has designated this month, the month of June, as Pride Month. A celebration... Pride Month is a celebration of lesbianism, homosexuality, 
bisexuality, transgenderism, queerness, and plus. Um, what else could be included in that list? I, really, is, is, if that list is not you know, startling enough, there's something that goes in the plus. Uh, the plus, as advocates are, are making the case for, is pedophilia, which is now being redefined as people attracted to minors, minor attracted persons. They call them mops. Pedophilia goes in the plus. Uh, bestiality also in the plus, as there are people who um, want to marry their dogs and their cats and all kinds of things. This is what our culture is celebrating this month. And I don't know if you remember, you know, like 15 minutes ago when tolerance was the word of the day. Do you remember that word, tolerance? I know that seems like a, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away where it was all about tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We just need to tolerate. Tolerate. We just need tolerance. If we could all just have tolerance. But that word has been... Uh, quickly retired, and it's not that way anymore. It's not enough to tolerate these issues. If you do not fully embrace every facet of the rainbow flag and celebrate it, not tolerate it, celebrate it as good, glorious, righteous. If you do not celebrate LGBTQ+, as good, glorious, and righteous, you are a bigot, you are a hater, you are someone who is promoting violence, you're probably a racist, a right-wing, ultra-Christian nationalist, a fascist, a colonizer, a white supremacist, anything that they want to make up and throw at you are all of those things. If you do not celebrate LGBTQ plus rainbow flag as good. Not only has our culture affirmed this, but also our government from the top down. This week, our president, President Biden, Vice President Harris, our mayor, Ron Nuremberg, all blasted out, took to social media to celebrate, to celebrate lesbianism, homosexuality, transgenderism as good, glorious, and righteous, and to call all people to the same. You, you of course, have undoubtedly seen this week the flags flying in businesses around town, uh, the commercials, the unrelenting commercials on TV and online. We see the, the drag queen story hours at the libraries. Funnily enough, the, the drag queens don't, don't, go, don't go do story hours at the old folks' home. Yeah. For, for some reason, it's just, they just want to be around the kids. I, I don't know what that's all about. Probably at work, you have some people who identify as, you know, they have pronouns that are different than, you know, their facial hair. <laughs> uh, Cross-dressers, 
everywhere we go. You know, we were out the other day, and um, we were out at Six Flags, and there was this gentleman who was wearing women's clothing and makeup with a, with, he had a nicer beard than me. Um, And what we see is that even more and more churches today are waving the rainbow flag. And so what are we as God's people to do? The Bible says we're to love our neighbor. Is it time for the church? Do do we just need to get on board? Is it time for the church to bust out the rainbow flags? Now, I just want to say right here at the outset, I I want to speak to those who would who would find themselves in the place where you find yourself tempted with same-sex attraction or truly what it is is same-sex lust. If you find yourself in that place, I want you to know if you, are, if you have feelings, if you have desires for, for people of the same sex as you, I want you to know that we are not against you. We are not against you at all. The the church is not against you. In fact, the truth is that we are for you. We do not hate you. We love you. And truly, hear me in this, truly, we want you to have the freedom that Christ purchased for you on the cross. That is what we want for you. True freedom. And we will embrace you with the love of Christ. But we will not embrace what the Bible and Christ clearly calls sin. And we will no more do that for you than I will do it for my daughter or my son or anybody else in this church that's battling any sin of any sort. We do not affirm sin of any kind. And the only reason why we are talking about these things this month is because it's what the world is talking about this month. And for the church to remain silent is to call forth the darkness, is to call forth the world's worldview. We are not going to do that. We are not obsessed with this. I do not wake up every day thinking about this unless it's being you know, broadcast and thrown in my face 24-7 as it is right now. And so my heart as a shepherd is first and foremost for the people of our church, what are we to do? How are we to think about these things? And secondly, it is for those who are are battling these issues, we want to see you walk in the freedom that Christ gives. Amen. Now, all that being said, if we can set aside for a moment the LGBTQIA2S+. All, we'll, just set, we'll just set all of that over here for a moment. 
Let's just take a a step back, a a broader step back. Let's just look at our our culture for a moment. The cultural landscape. The the national landscape. If if we take a step back and we just look at, how how are things going right now? Again, laying aside the, the, the pride month, just putting that over here. What about the rest of the culture? How, how we're doing good? We thriving, people? The evidence all around us is that we are a nation and a culture not ascending, but on the decline. On the decline. By whatever metric you want to use. Pick any data point. Pick any one. And you will find that our nation is falling apart. Homelessness on the decline or on the rise? Rise. On the rise. That's not a good thing. Now, for me to say that, does that mean I'm against the homeless? Well, no. I want them to have a home. (laughs) Drug abuse on the decline or incline? going through the roof fatherlessness and broken homes on the decline or the going up it's going up in fact more children today are born out of wedlock than two married couples in our culture think about that The, the ones that are not murdered before they even make it out of the womb will be born to parents who do not, who are not committed to one another. Pornography. Going out of style or on the, on the ascent? Up, 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 every year. Every year. Did, did you know that pornography in the United States makes more money every year than the NBA... The MLB, that's Major League Baseball, NBA's National Basketball Association, and the NFL, National Football League, combined. Combined. That's pornography in our culture. We have no-fault divorce. Anybody, for any reason, can just call it quits on their marriage. We have a total lack of social cohesion. There's a lack of justice in our nation. There's one standard of justice applied to to a certain group of people and then another standard applied to other groups of people. That's not equal justice. It used to be that, you know, Lady Justice, you know, the the, the person that embodied justice, she she used to be standing there holding scales, you know, the, 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 the weighing out, people's actions, holding a sword because the state bears the sword of justice to administer justice, to punish, uh, punish evil and reward good. And then also, I don't know if you know this, she's supposed to be wearing a blindfold. Justice is supposed to be blind so that whoever comes before the law is to be treated equally, not, not different standards applied to different people. That's the definition of injustice. Yeah. 
But you could rightly define our justice system today by that very definition. We have uncontrolled spending and debt. I don't know what the national debt is today. It's probably like, what, 31 trillion? Oh, wait, no, 32 trillion. Oh, wait, no, no, now it's 33. Oh, wait, no, no, it's 30. Like every second it's going up. Uncontrolled spending, uncontrolled debt. There's an oppressive tax system that, that we now have to pay into this immoral system. Funding, funding all sorts of immorality. The sexual indoctrination of children in preschool. Preschool, they're starting to teach children uh, about every form, every form of sexual practice. I watched a video this week of a high school teacher instructing her students on the intricacies of anal intercourse with pictures on the screen. Who's paying for that? We're paying for it with our tax dollars. And, and <laughs> I, see, I, I see these things every week. I have the great luxury of having people who just like, enjoy sending me this stuff for some reason. <laughs> Look at how bad things are. Thank you very much. And here's the thing. Half the country looks at that and says, that's a good thing. That's how it should be done. That, that's, that's, that's good. That's righteous. That's justice. We have lost the ability to discern good from evil. True from false. Reality from fantasy. And in fact, if you don't live in other people's fantasies, you're a hater. I don't have a problem with people's fantasies. You, you can have whatever fantasy you want. I just don't want to live in it. I, I shouldn't have to live in it. That's, that's, that's the issue. I want to live in the real world. We have lost our way. We do not know good from evil, true from false, right from wrong. We do not know male or female. We have lost our way. And the question I want to pose for us today, after my lengthy introduction, is how did we get here? How did we get here? Because our nation did not begin this way. <laughs> the Mayflower didn't come over here flying the pride flag. Right? I mean, that, that wasn't how we began. Our nation was founded on the word of God. By people who came here in covenant with the triune God of Scripture. I have printed out for your edification this morning the 
text of the Mayflower Compact. I don't know if you know what that is. It's the first document that was produced by the first settlers that came to this nation or came to this land. It wasn't a nation at that time. Listen to this. It's only a few paragraphs. The reason I read it for you is so, so that you can understand that things have not always been this way. We, we have a, in, in our day, we seem to have this amnesia where we can't remember 15 seconds ago. Yeah, or 400 years ago, exactly. Which, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that long ago. This is how it starts. In the name of God, amen. In the name of God, amen. There can be no doubt what this is going to be about. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, Ireland, king and defender of the faith. Well, what what faith is he defending? Well, I don't know if you watched the inauguration of King James. Anybody here watch that? (laughs) King Charles. Sorry, they're all I'm not I'm not that into it, but King Charles. What faith is he defending? Well, he swore to uphold and defend the, Protest- the Reformed Protestant Christian faith. That's the faith that they're talking about here, the defender of the faith. Having undertaken, listen, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends stated. And by virtue hereof do enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws Ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. In witness thereof, we have hereto subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France, and Scotland, the 54th. Anno Domini, 1620. Anno Domini, what does that mean? The year of our Lord. What Lord are they talking about? Jesus Christ. This nation was planted for the glory of God. And the advancement of the Christian faith. That's how we started. So again, the question. 
How did we get here? We have lost our way. And hear this. If we're ever going to find it again, we first got to figure out how we got into this mess to begin with. And so, with the 30 seconds I have left this morning, I want to answer this question. I want to answer this question. How did we get here? And I also want to answer this question. Is there any hope? So how did we get here? Well, I think you could certainly, there's, there's some landmarks. There's some signposts on the, you know, on the way to the dystopian reality that we live in today. I think you can certainly point to the sexual revolution of the 60s as a major cultural turning point. But that sexual revolution of the 60s, that came from somewhere. That didn't just appear out of nowhere. And you can trace that revolution directly to, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but you can trace that revolution in the 60s directly to the universities of the 40s and the 50s and how those institutions, the university system in America, were taken over by socialists, secularists, humanists, and Marxists. These God-hating Christ-hating, anti-Christ people, intelligentsia, infiltrated and took over the university system and began to promote anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-family ideas in the 40s and the 50s, which came to fruition in the sexual revolution of the 60s that we are still living in today. And so there has been, we can see, there has been a concentrated strategic effort over the last decades to indoctrinate the populace with propaganda into a godless, statist, perverted ideology and philosophy, a total worldview of life, way of viewing the world. That is antichrist. The media is involved in this. I don't know if you noticed that. You cannot watch anything today without this propaganda being thrown in your face. The media is involved. The government's involved. Education, they've taken over that to, to try and get kids at the earliest of age. So we see all of that. But my question is, why did that work? This was a Christian nation. Why did that propaganda work? Why didn't God's people look at all of that and just say, no, we don't want that. No, we reject that. No, that's ridiculous. That's foolishness. That doesn't line up with the word of God. I don't care how many degrees you have. This is what the word of God says. Why didn't God's people do that? Why did it work? And, and you, we have to admit that it worked, right? The, 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 this antichrist philosophy has, has won the cultural battle. It, ha, it has been won. There's no debate in the culture anymore on these issues. The debate in their mind is over. 
So that if you hold a different view, you're to be othered, you're to be ostracized, you're to be removed from polite society, you're to be canceled. Why did it, why did it work on a Christian nation? These ideas should have been rejected out of hand as incompatible with Christianity. And if we don't understand the answer to why that question worked, or, or why, why that strategy worked, if we don't under, understand the answer to that question, we will never make any, any progress or headway at all in the culture. And I'm talking about the culture. Here's the issue. There was many, many, many people, and it's the same issue we have today. Many Christians who had a profession of faith without any application of faith. They, they held a profession of faith. Yes, Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. By faith in him, my sins are forgiven. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. I believe in Jesus Christ. A profession of faith. But then walk out the doors and don't think like or live like and apply that profession of faith. It is a profession of faith without a faithful application. And in, in so doing, the, the church kept their faith to themselves. The Great Commission, which is to go and disciple the nations, the nations, Jesus said, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one that rose from the dead, defeating death, Satan, hell, and the grave. Go disciple the nations. Proclaim to them the good news of the gospel. We somehow thought that that was for only for China and Mexico and Japan and Africa. And we forgot it's for our backyard too. It's for our backyard. And so preoccupied with the children of the other nations, but neglecting to teach our own children the Christian faith. Now, I'm, I'm, hear me, I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the children of China, Africa, Mexico, Japan, all the nations, I'm not saying that they are unimportant. But what I am saying is if that we neglect our own children to try and win those children, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. That the Great Commission, number one, it starts in the mirror. That's where it starts. And then it's around my table. Yes. Around my table. And we're all called to it. How, how can I disciple, how can we disciple nations if we can't disciple our families? Amen. I want to look at briefly here, take you through a, a really quick survey of the apostolic witness in the book of Acts.
These are the people that heard the Great Commission. Go into all the world, disciple the nations, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. What did they do? Did they just have prayer meetings? No, they, they took it to the streets. Literally. They went out into the streets and preached. In the streets. Listen to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus, God, raised from the dead. God raised from the dead. And of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Jesus, he's saying, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who defeated death. Who paid the price for sin. Who has poured out, he says, having received the promise from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out his spirit now. That you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He says, for David, and he quotes from Psalm 1101, where David says this. He says, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let me ask you something. Are Christ's enemies his footstool today? Or are they? Do we see Christ's enemies under his feet today? Therefore, there's a lot more work to be done. Jesus is to sit at the right hand of the Father until every enemy has been made a footstool for his feet. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, invite Jesus into your heart and he has a wonderful plan for your life. No, what did Peter say? Repent. Turn around. Do a 180. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness, bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this perverse or crooked generation. And it tells us that 3,000 souls were baptized that day. They preached Christ, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, repent of your sins and worship Christ. That's what they preached. They they get hauled in in chapter 4, flip over to chapter 4, they get hauled before the authorities, the government, for their preaching, the Jewish authorities. Verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to their preaching. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. They had, they had, Jesus had healed a man through their ministry. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name among heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Did you know here that Peter is actually quoting from what Caesar Augustus said about himself? Did you know that? Did you know that Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, had declared that in his name was the only place that there was salvation under heaven? Did you know that? So Peter is taking the words of Caesar and he's saying, actually, Caesar's not Lord. It's Jesus Christ is Lord. And we submit to him. And it's in his name and only his name that there's salvation. There's many ways to God. Give Jesus a chance. That's not the message these people preached. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Just open it up and let him in, please. No, that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is Jesus Christ is the son of God. Defeated death on the cross. Conquered Satan's sin. Is risen. Is ruling. Is reigning. And now he calls. God calls all men to repent of their sin. We see this in Acts chapter 17. Last one in Acts. Flip over there quickly. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul preaching. This is in Athens, Greece. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Listen, there is a day of judgment coming where God will judge the world in righteousness, not according to the standards of the culture, but according to the righteous standards of his word. And he has risen Christ from the dead so that we can be sure that that day is coming. Therefore, repent. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. Look back just a few verses here in chapter 17 of what Paul's enemies say about him and the apostles. Verse 6, chapter 17, verse 6. They, they dragged uh, some of Paul's converts when they couldn't find Paul and the apostles. They dragged Jason, some of the church members and the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. This is the gospel. There is another king, and his name is Jesus. And it is his word that stands. This is the issue. And this is not, hear me, this is not what the church has been preaching. And this is definitely not what the church has been living. You see, being a Christian is so much more than having a profession of faith. It is applying that profession to every area of life because Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. But because we've been preaching, give Jesus a chance, not Jesus' risen King, Lord, and Christ, people just think, well, I just, I just say these words and I, I'm good. I, I just say this profession and they, they treat Christ like he's, you know, eternal fire insurance or something. Jesus, you know, my get out of hell free card. But that's not the gospel that the apostles preached. It wasn't give Jesus a chance. It was there's a day coming where God will judge the world by Christ. And he has proven that to all humanity by raising that man from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. And he will return one day to judge the world. That is the message they preached. And that is the message that they lived. And that is the message that they applied to their lives. The lordship of Christ in every area of life. And it starts in the house of God. It starts with us. We, we, we can't be so worried about everything that's falling apart out there when we're not living it in here. It's been said, and I think that it's true, that the culture is the report card of the church. Because the church doesn't think like Christians. We don't think like Jesus is Lord over my whole life. He's Lord over my thoughts. He's Lord over my actions. He's Lord over my feelings. He's Lord over my words. He's Lord, the Bible says, of my body. I'm to honor God with my body. No, we think Jesus is Lord in here on Sundays when we sing our songs. But then we go out and we don't think that Jesus is Lord anymore. We don't act like Jesus is Lord. And this is why we're in the mess that we're in. Because we don't act like this. We don't think like this. We don't preach like this. We don't live like this. These guys in one generation had the reputation of turning the world upside down. They started with 120. 120. And in one generation, they turned the world upside down. Listen, the world needs to be turned upside down. And they did it with less people than are in here right now. Because they believed it. They were witnesses of the resurrection Jesus is Lord. Christ is King. But because we don't think that, we don't live that, we don't act like that, 
We've let the world, the Antichrist spirit, indoctrinate us, teach us. We let the world tell us what a Christian's supposed to look like. The world are experts on how a Christian's supposed to act, supposed to talk, supposed to look, supposed to say. The, the world... And we've let the world, who's filled with the Antichrist spirit, teach us about what it means to follow Christ. We've let those who hate Christ tell us what it means to follow Christ. And not the word of God. Well, that's not loving. That's hate speech. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus, how do you know? Have you ever read his book? Do you know that Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth? Not gummy worms, you know, like it's, it's serious business. You know, his eyes are a flame of fire. You know, he's, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. By what standard? His word, his law. No, that we, we have a culture that's created Christ in their own image and then they try to force us into the box of following the Christ that they've created. Right. We must not surrender our following of Christ to the dictates of the culture. The culture does not get to dictate how far I follow Christ. Shockingly, the, the Christ they've come up with looks nothing like the Jesus of the Bible. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which means I must think like a Christian. Which means I must, back to my text that I read at the beginning, I must set apart Christ as Lord in my heart. That's what Peter said to do. He said, this is what you need. You need to set Christ apart as Lord. In your heart, sanctify him, set him apart as holy in your heart. Always ready to give a, a defense, an apologetic for the hope that you have. You see, we're not ready to defend the faith because we haven't applied the faith to our own hearts by setting, a Christ, setting apart Christ as Lord here. We, we must sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. We must think through every area of our life and constantly say, am I applying the word of God to it? That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. To think and to live like a Christian is to make Jesus Christ and following him and obeying his word the central focus of our lives. Not just Sunday morning go to church. I love Sunday morning go to church. I love it so much I could have Sunday morning go into Sunday afternoon go to church. And we have Sunday night go to church. And I love it. But if what we do here doesn't touch how we live out there, it's meaningless. It's fruitless. It touches every area of our lives. If we believe that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, died in our place for our sins, rose on the third day, if we believe that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he is presently ruling and reigning in his session as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the sovereign one 
And that he will return one day to judge the living and the dead. If this is truly our profession and our confession, we will place his words above all other words. And that is what we have not done. And that is why we're in the mess that we're in. Well, this expert says this, and this guy did this research, and he's, you know, he's really educated, and, you know, I don't know, I'm just a, what do I know? I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God alive on the inside of you. No, I don't have time. I'm out of time. Therefore, what Christ says about marriage, about family, about gender, about sexuality, what Christ says is the final word on these matters. But hear this, hear this, hear this. Not only is Christ's word the final word for Christians, but for all creation. As we read in Colossians 1.16, he, it is by his word that all things were created. By him, everything was created. He is the creational word made flesh. And by him, all things exist. Romans 11.36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. The, the, the ethics and the law and the commandments of Scripture are not only for the Christian, they're for all creation. This is God's world. He made it. We broke it. And by Christ, he is redeeming it. And we must set apart Christ as Lord in our minds, in our thoughts, in our heart and in our actions. For nearly a hundred years, Christians in this country have been surrendering to the culture and not to Christ. And it will not get better. We will not make progress until we repent and set apart Christ as Lord. This is the issue. Who is Christ? Who is Christ? Is he king? Or is he just some historic figure from 2,000 years ago? Is Christ a way, the truth and the life? Or is he the way, the truth and the life? That's the issue. And that's the issue that we must apply to our lives in every single conversation, apply to our lives with every show that we watch, Apply to our lives, everywhere we go, everything we do, it is all for the glory of God. And we must be bold in our profession of faith. If we could just be half as bold as the world, we'd get this thing turned around real quick. But we've been coward, we've been taught by the world what it means to be a Christian. We've been taught by the world that being a Christian is living this private faith. And you go and you hang out with you, you know, your, your Christian buddies that you know, enjoy Christian things. And it's just like chess club or the yacht club or you know, knitting or sewing or whatever. No, no, no. 
because the, the head of the yacht club or the boat club or the knitting and sewing club didn't die and rise again. Amen. This is the issue. Who is Jesus? This is always the issue. And because we as Christians for a hundred years, by and large, have not set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts and give a ready defense for the Christian faith, we've seen the culture go the way it has gone. That's how it happened in a Christian nation. And so the other question I was going to ask asked and will answer here now quickly, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Now, if we're honest, let's be honest here for a second. The temptation is real to feel hopeless. As we survey the landscape and we see the way that things are so broken at the most basic and foundational fundamental levels, it is easy to become hopeless. We don't even understand what it means to be a human being anymore. Is there any hope? Yes. There is hope. For one reason and one reason alone. And it's not because of the election in 2024. If you're putting your hope in that, I feel so sorry for you. That thing is going to be a just a, a train wreck. No matter what happens. Do not put your hope in men, the Bible says. Our hope is not in the election. Our hope is not in politicians. Our hope is not in, in the economy or, you know, economics or in education or, you know, that somehow we can, you know, send more money to Washington and they'll fix the weather. You know, that's, that's not... Our hope. There is only hope because our God is a God who brings dead things back to life. Amen. Amen. Our God is the one who knows the way out of the grave. Our God is the one who can do more in one moment, in one day than we could do in a thousand lifetimes. And this is why historically, in times like these, God's people have turned to prayer. God's people have gotten on their knees and begged him for mercy and begged him for revival and begged him to pour out his spirit Because hear me in this, if that does not happen, there is no hope. If God does not move in this nation, it is done for. It is falling apart at the seams. It will take a radical move of God and revival to save this culture and this nation. And we serve that kind of God. But it will not come until, as it says in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name 
will turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. But it starts with his people. It starts with us setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, in our homes, in every facet of our lives, in every detail of our lives. I cannot have this this little enclave set aside that I say is my kingdom and then I live the rest for him and his kingdom. I cannot say, well, this is what I like to do for fun and yeah, I know, but God will forgive me and that's just my thing, but I live for the king. No, no, no. If he is not king of all, he's not king at all. That this is what God's people have to do. We must repent of our sin. Of our sin. We, we have to have our hearts broken for the sin in our nation. Not, not, not get sucked into the, uh, the, the narratives. Not get sucked into the, uh, 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 the, the mold that the world would want to put us in. Pitting two groups against one another that are just angry at each other. If, if, if that's what's happening, then the Spirit of God's not moving in our hearts. Our hearts should be broken. 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 Do you remember the first of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are broken. Broken because of sin. We cannot be so full of our own pride. And just condemn others. It starts right here. It starts in us. If we don't get down to business with God, stop playing games with God, religious games. So much of the church today is just religious nonsense. It's not the word of God. It's not preaching. It's not true worship. It's entertainment. It's foolishness and folly. It's kids' church for adults. But there was 120 people who 2,000 years ago, by the Spirit of God, were set on fire. And they proclaimed the truth with boldness. Were they perfect? No. Did they make mistakes? Yes. Will you be perfect? No. Do you have all the answers? No. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But with, a lot, with lives surrendered to God fully, living for him and for his kingdom and his glory, we can turn this world upside down because of the power of God's spirit. But it will take nothing less than hearts that are fully surrendered to him. It will take nothing less than hearts that have sanctified Christ as Lord. It will take nothing less than those who say, Jesus is Lord and you're not. You can slander me. You can call me names. You can beat me up. You can fire me. You can throw me into jail. You can even take my life. But Jesus is Lord. 
It's that kind of attitude. It will take nothing less. But what could God do? What could God do with a group of people that were fully, totally surrendered to him and to his lordship in every area of life? Who were committed to to loving and to serving and to giving, to blessing, to preaching the truth. Committed to all of those things. Who were ready to offer a defense for the hope that we have. Who were ready to talk about more than the NBA playoffs or the weather. It's hot in Texas. Wow. You know, blue, like, is there anything else? Do you have any hope? Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's our part. That's what God has called us to, each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, you are so good to us, and you are so patient, and you are so loving. Lord, as we've celebrated you and your work, your transforming work in our lives today, We've celebrated your cross. We've celebrated your resurrection. We've sung your praises. We've celebrated the transformation that you've brought to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would grip our hearts with conviction. Lord, that we would set you apart, that we would sanctify you and put you in our hearts in the proper place that you deserve. Lord, we belong to you. You are the creator. This world belongs to you. You have redeemed our lives. You have called us out of darkness. You have bestowed upon us righteousness, your righteousness. Though ours is as filthy rags, you wore our rags on the cross that we might be clothed in your righteousness. We thank you for that. God, I pray that our life, our application would match our profession. Lord, that we would follow you as Lord of our lives. In the way that we relate to our spouse and the way that we raise up and discipline and teach our children the ways of God, the, the way that we worship you in our homes, the, the way that we live for you at work, the, the way that we interact with our family members and our friends and our coworkers, Lord, from the things that we watch and the places that we go and the way that we think. Lord, renew our minds, transform our minds, transform our hearts. God, if there's any place that we have not surrendered fully to you, Help us to do it by the power of your spirit today. Let us bury that at the cross. Thank you that our sin was buried. Help us to keep it six feet under. And that we would live out the new life 
by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.